Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is the first edition of Bitcoin Breadcrumbs. Um, this will be me, Corey Tusik, and uh, Luke Mikich will co-host this. Um, and this is kind of a weekly recap you know, what's going on in the Bitcoin space. Um, on this episode, we talked about the ETF coming out, um, Mark Cuban uh, coming into Preston's Twitter space. Um, and then, uh, you know, we also hit an all-time high. So we talked about all those things. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this. We'll just do this on a weekly basis, make it uh, something simple, uh, something uh, quick, quick hitter with uh, you know current events and our, our little commentary around it. The show today is brought to you by Coinbeast Connect. Go to coinbeast.com for more information. All right, uh, we'll get into the show now. You know, the, the first thing we're going to do with um, the next uh, round of sponsorships is invest in better lighting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a damn good idea. I don't know why. It just looks shit. My lighting's terrible. I, I could I could help you out with that. We'll, we'll get that figured out. I mean, good news yeah. is for the majority of the people you're listening to this, so um, the lighting doesn't bother you. Um, but uh, Luke and I are on opposite sides of the world, so Luke is down under, and uh, and it's bright as hell out. And I'm sitting here with uh, just the moonlight, and uh, it's lighting up half my face, and I look like a movie character. <laughs> but it's getting too cold, so I'm actually. I mean, I. We have to figure out when we're going to move, but I just kind of set up a temporary situation in our basement. Um, I mean, it's like a nice little work area, um, so I'll be able to record down there with lights, and it'll be more proper and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so dude, first things first, that Twitter spaces, what the F was that all about? I mean, I'll give you my... I'll give you my background. I don't, did you see the tweet storm going back and forth between Preston and Mark? I only read it after the fact. Um, oh, how about okay. you? Yeah, so I um, I saw it, and Preston, when he was on, we were talking about how you know Mark Cuban and Preston and I are all from Pittsburgh, um, and we were really disappointed in him. And so I was like, as soon as I saw him talking about Doge with Mark, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Um, and then I just happened to be, um, like on Twitter, like my wife, like literally was just going to bed and like opened it up to see if there was like any interesting spaces going on. And all of a sudden it pops up at Preston said like, let's see if Mark joins in. And that's the, that was the title of the space. So like I went in, there was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe one other person in there. And then, you know, he I went up on stage and then like a bunch of other people came in and you know, there's probably like uh like a hundred people, then within like a couple minutes, like up to like a thousand. And um, yeah, we were just like seeing if he would come. And uh and then like uh, when there's about a thousand people, I was just like, Hey, I was like, everybody that's listening, share this space out and tag Mark Cuban so that he'll just get flooded with like a thousand um messages at once and he did um and then all of a sudden he came on um so yeah i don't know what part of the conversation did you jump in 
Yeah. I think I was there from probably when the space had about a thousand people and that quickly evolved to what 15,000 people and probably the second biggest space that Twitter spaces has ever seen behind the, the night that the El Salvadorian president jumped into Nick, Nick Carter's space. I think that had what over 20,000 people in it. And yeah, I think I that think peaked the- at like 23, 24,000 people. Yeah, so it evolved pretty quickly. I think what Mark's got over 8 million followers and (laughs) as soon as he jumped into a space with the one and the only Preston Pierce, I think it evolved pretty quickly. It was was pretty surreal to be in there watching it all. It was very, very interesting. Yeah, well, and it was funny because the first thing Mark said in it was how Yin's guy's doing. And he must have heard, so Yin's is a word that Pittsburghers use. Not like all of us, but like, let's say like the real, the real, I don't want to talk down about Pittsburghers, but like not many Pittsburghers use it, but they're, instead of saying like y'all or you guys, they'll say yins. So be like yins go down to the store, yins do this. So then it's kind of like a badge of honor. We all call ourselves like yinsers, you know, um, it's literally spelled for those listening that don't know it's Y I. N Z. That is how you spell yins. Um, so it's crazy how we have all these different little things. Like I think in Australia, we have all sorts of uh, appropriate and inappropriate nicknames for each other. And over there, you guys have Yarl and Yins, and we you don't hear any of that over here. We've got all no. sorts of different. And then you said you were an Aussie bogan, and I was like, I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, more our flavor. But uh, but it was so funny because. I don't think either, I don't think anybody knew that Mark was in the room at the time. And I, there's this uh, local famous sandwich shop called Permanis in Pittsburgh, um, where they put like French fries and coleslaw on your like san- deli sandwich. And, um, and like anytime there's a sporting event in Pittsburgh, they show these sandwiches getting made and everything. And, um, and like, so I was sitting there and I said to Preston, I said, I, you know, we'll do this over Twitter spaces, but I was always hoping that, that, um, you know, we'd be able to do this over a Permani sandwich, like me, you and Mark. And hey, I must've, he must've been in the room at that time. And then he heard our voices. Cause that's when he came on he goes, how Yin's guys doing? And Preston was like, Oh, but you didn't know I was a Pittsburgher. And he was like, I couldn't tell from your accent at all. Um, cause you get, I mean, to the average person probably can't hear it, but like, if you're from Pittsburgh, like you can hear from a mile away, and I, I, I knew Preston was a Pittsburgher, but I didn't piece it together. I just was listening to that dude on different podcasts, his own podcast. And then as soon as I pieced it together, I was like, oh, my God. And I heard all the words in my head. Like, um, I mean, you know, people always talk about how Preston says major. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But like. I won't even tell. I told him, I said, I won't even tell you the words because I don't want it to be in your head that like, because I, I know I say words a certain way. And if somebody told me, then every time I went to say it, I'd be like, uh. um, but anyways, yeah. So outside of all that Pittsburgh stuff, um, I don't know. I just was left. What did you think of the debate? I was left wanting more. I wanted it to be Preston versus Mark and it kind of became a shit show. 
Yeah, I, I think it would have been a lot cleaner. It was just Preston versus Mark. I think Preston would have eventually been able to shoot down all the arguments about all of the other shit coins that uh, Mark's interested in. Like Preston's been on the Bankless podcast debating those those Ethereum heads, and he did a really good job arguing why proof of stake centralized. And I think he's also made good arguments in the past about why you shouldn't be holding Doge. It's you know inflationary, and I think I think you could sense in the conversation there there was a sense to this. Um, it sense it felt as if Preston was about to land a knock in a knockout kind of blow, and then somebody else jumped in and just kind of changed the topic. So I would have certainly preferred it. It was just, but that's what you get on Twitter Spaces. It was unorganized. It was messy. Um, what do you think about some of the arguments Mark uh, Bananas Man Cuban was making about Bitcoin? And <laughs> well, is it what were the arguments he made? So he said. One of them was El Salvador adopting uh, Bitcoin can, can will fail because outside countries will eventually refuse to do trade with them. So they refuse to send Bitcoin to El Salvador. And because El Salvador doesn't have enough volcanoes, El Salvador won't have enough Bitcoin inside their little circular economy. So it's going to fail. <laughs> that was his argument. Uh, oh, swing and a miss, Mark. Swing yeah. and a miss. He... um. Well, I was pissed about because then, I mean, I didn't care that I got bumped down. I just wish that everybody got bumped down except for Preston and Mark because that's what I that's what I think everybody wanted to hear. Um, but then once that conversation was going, I was like, shit, like I wish I was up there because I would nobody was pressing him on like he was talking about like Doge. It's easy. You can buy Doge and, you know, you go in, you spend some money. It introduces you to crypto, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, there is some truth to like, oh, it introduces you to crypto. But I wanted to be like, Mark, this is like people's life savings that they're putting into this stuff. People are getting wrecked. And yes, people go to casinos and lose their money. But I mean, that's the thing that bothered me about the Doge thing is I'm sitting there at like my kids events and there's like plumbers, electricians and like other hardworking people that are sitting there talking to me about whether or not they should put all their like a good chunk of their savings into Doge. And I'm like, whoa, no, no, not at all. Like, no, like, but don't you think it'll pump to a dollar? You know, Elon saying, I was like, no, no, there's no value in it. Sure, it might pump to a dollar, but it's most likely not going to. It's going to go to zero. And, um, but that's the thing, like, you know, and McCormick was actually right whenever he said that Mark had lost touch with, you know, the average person. He was right to a degree. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like Mark just, nobody was burying him on that i would be like dude like it's not fun and games this is people's money it's not like it's like a game you're signing up for on the phone and you pay five dollars to get rid of the ads like that's not what it is of a cory don't you think it's fun don't you just think it's a lot of fun buying Dogecoin? I mean, it's a oh. that was Mark's argument. Buy Dogecoin because it's fun. And that's that's what outrages oh. the Bitcoin maximalists because as soon as you have these billionaires and these millionaires like uh, Elon Musk and uh, Mark Bananas Man Cuban saying these things about whether it be Ethereum or whether it be Dogecoin, the average day person, like you said, they don't understand the nuance of the situation. They don't understand that you should be pretty much all in Bitcoin. You shouldn't touch the rest of these things. And when you when you hear the billionaires talking about Dogecoin being fun, suddenly the everyday man who doesn't know any better, it kind of, they hear all the other narratives in the quote unquote crypto world and it kind of justifies all of their arguments as well. I think that's how the new person interprets it when these rich people start talking about altcoins. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And they think that it's going to just, sorry, I just swore. Um, (laughs) I do all the time. Yeah. uh, But it's, they think it's going to moon and, you know, like, and it's, it is a tough spot um, for people to get introduced because then they're going to get burnt. But I just wish people wouldn't get burnt as much as they are. And like, I actually just talked to Lamar about this and saying like, you know, most everybody was like a shit queen at one point. Like everybody has their shit queen phase. Um, and, uh, and so, but like, th- they're just going to get burnt with a lot of money. Like, I mean, I know people that have like told me they put like, you know, five, $10,000 in, in Doge. And these are people that don't have five, $10,000 to like just randomly spare on like, Oh, if this goes to nothing, I was like, Jesus, like I even, I, I threw a hundred dollars into Doge a while ago when it was like, a, you know what I mean? Like a penny or something. And this was before I had fully crossed over to like a Bitcoin maxi. Um, and I just did it for like fun. And then I was like, I literally had it in there for like maybe 12 hours. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what? no, this is, this is gross. This is icky. And this, you know, that's what led me down to being a Bitcoin max. I mean, that was before it was like a meme too. So that was, yep. you know, but um, yeah, I don't know. The whole space just kind of ran out of control real quick. Um, and you know, I mean, to Mark's defense, he was right. Like people were like asking questions and making arguments. And then it wasn't that the group was changing the dis- discussion. It was that somebody would just jump in and start asking him something else. It was like, dude, like, just let it go. I'm and like, I'm sorry. Like, just, I mean, it, it should have been, should have been Preston and Mark. I think that's just what you get. It's just chaotic nature of Twitter spaces. I think it was very kind of, uh, spur of the moment kind of thing. I think they were arguing on a tweet and Preston was like, jump into space then, let's go. Let's debate this properly. It's because debating people on Twitter threads, it's not not quite the same when you can, you know, talk in dialogue back and forwards in a space. It is different. Um, yeah. So I think it was always going to be unorganized. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I will be able to organize eventually. I mean, I did actually email Mark afterwards. I don't know if you saw me tweet that, um, but I tweeted and said like, I'm, I'm going to email Mark and see if I can get him and Preston to sit down like in person, we'll do it in person. And then I'll just, I'll be there and get out of the way and let them go and literally just moderate. So I like tweeted something like that. And I don't know if he saw my tweet cause he doesn't follow me, but I, but I mean, I literally, I, I emailed him like maybe an hour before. Then I tweeted and said, put the tweet out saying like, Hey, I, you know, I sent him a note. Let's see what he says and like within two minutes he emailed me back and said no thank you and i was like oh, oh really there you go oh, yeah yeah maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't like debates um because i haven't seen him in many others but yeah um, i mean he's i, su- I kind of outed myself i mean now i'm more, being more public with who i am but like i bounced emails back and forth with him he has a public email address i don't know if it's still public I'm sure it kind of is but um yeah years ago i shot him an email like asking for pointers and then we'd gone back and forth on a handful of things and and he's i mean to his credit he's he's actually you know like one time i was like 
hey i have a meeting with you know this like president of a, a sport and sports team um you know this is what i'm pitching you know what do you think and he he actually came back and was like you know this 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 and i was like oh shit like it's kind of amazing you know amazing like somebody like that that probably gets how many emails like i'm terrible with emails i never shit. respond to them it takes me <laughs> months to get not months maybe weeks um and then like i'm sitting there like this guy's probably getting crushed in his inbox and he just must be sitting on like the shitter all day just like responding <laughs> to people yeah yeah he'd be pretty inundated with the emails i think even twitter gets a bit like that uh with notifications and dms and especially after you've been in some spaces you always get people asking questions and saying this and that so i'm very surprised that he that he would be responding to emails and all yeah. of that but that was one of the big things that happened this week um i suppose yeah. the next big story to discuss yeah what do you think about the new etf being approved Corey? well uh i think it's a long time coming um i'm also too smooth-brained to understand <laughs> all the ins and outs of it um but uh but it's funny because um you know, my, my dad was texting me like at like midnight. I must've saw the headlines and, you know, saying like, Oh, you know, saw this and everything. And it's basically like, should buy more, should buy more Bitcoin. You know, um, I, you walk me through it though. Like what, <laughs> what is the ETF exactly? And why would I buy, why would anyone buy that instead of Bitcoin? Oh, you've got me on the spotty. I didn't didn't prepare for this one. I know. Uh, I know. Um, <laughs> so this this one's a futures um, ETF. So essentially, it's garbage. Um, the the ETF doesn't actually hold the underlying Bitcoin. Um, and they the way it works with these futures contracts is essentially, long story short, the ETF has to purchase the the next month's uh, contracts. So for that would be November. Uh, the closer and the closer we approach the end of October. Um, the ETF, as I believe it, it has to sell all the October um, contracts and it has to buy all the November contracts. And because the Bitcoin futures contracts in contango, meaning that the forward price of each month is actually higher than the previous month. So for example, for the listeners, um, what's the price today? 65,000. We just reached a new all-time high. The um, futures contract price for November, for example, would be higher than 65 for like 70,000. And then for December, the contract would be 75,000. And then for Jan uh, January, it would be uh, like 80,000. So that means it's in contango. The uh, futures contract is sloping upwards, meaning the futures price is predicted to be higher than what it is now. So when you've got a derivative, so when you've got an ETF, that's um, the way that this one's structured. It means when Bitcoin's price is in contango, people holding the ETF get absolutely smashed. I think they lose something like 11 or 12% based on how much contango is in the Bitcoin price right now. So long story short, um, I wouldn't be touching it. I wouldn't be buying it. Um, even if you can, um, even if you can't buy the underlying Bitcoin, like if you've got a Roth IRA or a 401k, I, I'd prefer the other Bitcoin proxies, to be honest. No, not financial advice. I'll put my non-financial yeah. advisor hat on, but I, I think something like a grayscale or a, because that looks like it's going to be converted into a, a spot ETF. So the Contango, I've heard so many people talk about that and I have no idea. I mean, I know it could probably take like 10 minutes to Google it, <laughs> figure it out, but... Um, 
yeah what in the world is the contango like it feels like are we talking about yeah. dance that we're gonna do <laughs> uh basically basically contango this is well well out of my wheelhouse too ladies and gentlemen so if i sound like i don't know exactly what's going on here if i make a slip up that's because i don't know what's going on but contango yeah. we, means we, the we future to be smart but we're really just two idiots sitting here <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly contango is when the futures price is higher um each month than it is at the moment. So it's an upward sloping futures curve if you were to plot it on a graph. Now, uh, the normal or what they call, what is it, normal backwardation, that's um, so when you take in a commodity such as oil, normally the futures contract is actually lower each month that goes into the future. So we, we made the example of Bitcoin being in contango and the price each month being incrementally higher. So 70,000 for November, 75 for December, 80 for January. Um, for it to be, that's contango. Futures curve slopes upward. For normal, the opposite, which is backwardation, that means the futures price slopes downwards if you were to plot it onto a graph. So, for example, a lot of people use the example of oil. So normally when you buy an oil contract um, and when that contract expires, you need to take physical delivery of the oil. So when you're looking at the futures contracts in oil um when the when the contracts in backwardation um the the price slopes downwards because you're also expected to have to pay for storage of the oil each month so the longer you store the oil the lot the more price you have to pay to store the oil so i think the etf the price slopes downwards so that's kind of how it compensates for it that's how i really high level kind of think about it um i hope i haven't butchered that i didn't prepare for it at all but um <laughs> i think that's the difference between contango and backwardation so the um it, well who's who sets the price on this this futures etf i mean it, it goes to 60 you know they say the they set it to 70 for november i mean how does that price get set like is it there's people right now in the month of October buying it for the month of November or I'm sure we can uh, put up a chart after the fact of a maybe derivative the, the derivatives contracts for each month um I was just making an example for it yeah, being yeah. like 70,000 well, yeah. in November like, I am honestly not that, sh- who sets that price is it just like based on market or I mean how does it yeah I don't I, I think it just tracks a few a few of the bigger exchanges like uh, Binance and uh, maybe not Binance, but Coinbase and Kraken and some of the larger exchanges. But I think big picture, um, I did a terrible job explaining that ETF. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but big picture, I think it's positive. Um, well, it's a bit of a nothing burger, really, but it's more just more mainstream acceptance. It's I not mean, people. So when there's a spot buy ETF, then that means people can buy actual Bitcoin on the stock exchange? Well, kind of, but you can't actually take delivery of the Bitcoin. But the more people that buy uh, ETF that's backed by spot, that means that, for example, Grayscale, they need to go out there and actually buy the physical Bitcoin. So the same Canada approved, I think, three spot ETFs earlier this year. And when uh, people bought, for example, $500 million of the Canadian ETF, the, the person who runs the ETF actually has to go out there and buy physical Bitcoin to back up the uh, spot okay. ETF. This one right now, the derivatives contract one, is cash settled. So essentially, long story short, 
it's not what we want as Bitcoiners, really. Like, I mean, we want um, people to own actual Bitcoin. Yeah, we want them to go out there and actually buy physical Bitcoin to to back up the demand that they're seeing. And I think it's record breaking demand. Um, I, I think it was breaking some records um, today for the first day traded. So, oh yeah, I saw all kinds of headlines. It didn't make sense to me, but they were they looked good. They looked, yeah, uh, like oh okay. Um, so okay, so once it's a spot buy, then like anyone has access. I guess what that does is opens up funds to be able to access it that like normally wouldn't be able to like you know if there's I don't know some kind of I don't know, traditional Wall Street fund or something like that, they can't like go on like Kraken and buy Bitcoin or they can't go on strike and buy Bitcoin with their their client's money, but now they can do it on with their normal trading on Wall Street. Is that what will happen? Yep. So that's what the ATF is. Uh just opens the door for more institutional investors. Um, um but yeah, like you said, it's kind of like a nothing burger, right? Because it's just like if people wanted to buy Bitcoin, they'd be buying it anyways. Yep. I don't know. It's it, just it more mainstream. Price. I, it doesn't. I don't think it really sways the price at all. Uh, there'll be, we can, I don't want to get too complicated into the arbitrage trade and the carry trade and how the oh this futures God. contracts gets into that. But I, I think high level, it's just more uh, mainstream acceptance. If you've got governments now in the United States also, putting forward a Bitcoin ETF, I think the likelihood of the US banning Bitcoin has decreased. Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think the US will ban it. Um, I don't think they can. I mean, nobody can ban it. Like They can't. They, just, they literally can't. Um, you can you can stop certain things, but but it's it's an it's an entity that can't be controlled. Um, I don't know. Do you think the U.S. will ever ban it? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Um, what about Australia? More likely than the U.S., I can, I'll tell you that much. Um, I mean, they've banned living in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate. We're probably one of the most draconian lockdowns. Um, are you, are you allowed to go anywhere? Oh, I don't. Um, I hope the police or someone aren't watching this uh, interview, oh, but I don't yeah. follow lockdowns sure. anyway. I, I would just refuse. I haven't worn a mask for the whole 18 months. Uh, I refuse. Um, yeah, I mean, so the people who do obey the lockdowns, yeah, they're stuck in their, their homes, but it's mostly in the cities. Like, it's very similar to what's happening in the United States uh, with the blue states and the red states. Like, these lockdowns and the footage that they're showing of Australia on the, brand, on the news every night, it's only really in the cities of Sydney and Melbourne. Um, like, I mean, if you venture out, um, the further you venture outside the cities, the more people just don't comply and just don't follow, you know, you know people the rules. Are like- cool with it like they're like not even like fate you is it i've noticed people just generally at this point have moved on like i think in, around in, here yeah in australia people are a little bit more compliant i suppose than the united states a little bit more docile but there's this big protests like once every couple of weeks there's always protests the news just doesn't show them um there were really big protests in melbourne yeah i know right there were really big protests in Melbourne um, a couple of weeks ago when the when the construction workers got the jab mandate pushed on them. Uh, massive protests, and 
I think the Victorian government put out a law saying, okay, you're not allowed to get in your helicopter and um, you know how they do the overhead uh, footage, the filming mm-hmm. over the cities. Mm-hmm. They said, nah, nah, you can't do that anymore. And they didn't give a reason why, but I, I would suppose it's because the protests were getting massive and they were, um, the footage of the protests was circulating across all the social media platforms and the internet went down. It was, um, yeah, they're definitely trying to suppress the narrative. Um, do you think that, It's because, I mean, I think it is, but since you're younger than me and you probably were born after the fact that Australia got rid of their guns, do you think that's why those lockdowns are possible and they aren't in the United States? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I I do think so. Um, I think Australia is probably just a little bit more docile uh, as as a population in general. I mean... Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's definitely not the same kind of standard of living. Everybody's just like, oh yeah, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right, mate. Everybody's laid back <laughs> and too cool to care. It's a little bit depressing to watch it all unfold. Um, uh, me and my friends, we used to, I don't know if this was like just a myth among, amongst college kids, but we used to, everybody like used to say that they're in like Australia, the girl to guy ratio was like, five to one or something like that so they're like oh yeah man like you know go to australia it's like shooting fish in a barrel like you know <laughs> you like you get a girl to like go out on a date with you no problem like that's what we used to uh, uh, that's what we used to tell ourselves um you know we're like yeah we go to australia mate we'd be fine uh but you know it's it's the girl it's the ratio that's the problem it has nothing to do with the fact that we're sitting around playing xbox to like three o'clock in the morning together and like eating, you know, garbage food and uh, going out to bars and hanging out with just our friends and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, I actually never nine. considered it. I'd never yeah. considered the demographics. I, I wonder if there is a difference between the US and Australia in the difference between boys to girl ratio. Um, I'm I'm guessing that there's not because it's probably just something that a bunch of loser guys <laughs> tell themselves yeah, to feel better about their lives. Probably, probably. Uh, um, but um, in other big news this week, Corey, uh, Bitcoin, uh, yeah, as we're yeah, recording, yeah. of course, as we're recording, we're hitting a new all-time high. Uh, yeah. What are we at at the exact moment? I don't check price. I couldn't tell you. I think we I popped above all time high, and I think we just popped just beneath it, probably 64, 65,000. Um, well, that was crazy, though. Like, it was just, it was weird, like, because it was like I knew it was going to happen the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know what I ex- expected the feeling to be like. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was like being right, um, you know. Well, it's uh, been pretty contentious lately. Like a lot of people for the past couple of months have have uh, very adamantly claimed that we've be, we've been in a bear market since that correction we had from sixty five k to twenty nine k. Everybody, a lot, a large portion of people were like, "It's over. It's a bear market. Yeah. We're going to have an eighty five percent correction and 12, 12 to eighteen month bear market." I think I think we've both been on the same page. We've both been bullish. Um, I think I'll probably release an episode tomorrow on the podcast channel. Uh, we had Daniel Joe, um, an on-chain analyst over at CryptoQuant, uh, interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, and he was very adamantly bullish. And I think I interviewed the him today. What? 
it was 40k and it was the day that bitcoin uh dumped on the el salvador launch we had like a 20 percent correction in a day and all the bears came out and all the bears were very like adamant to 40 yeah is that what happened yeah i think we we're a little bit higher the day before 53 to 40 in a day or two. Oh um, wow but yeah, you, the on-chain analytics have been very clear. Even since, uh, even we we're in the low thirty in low thirty k's, like a couple of months ago, the whales have been accumulating Bitcoin. There's a massive shortage on exchanges. Coins are flying off exchanges. That doesn't happen in bear markets. So um, yeah, that's what I've been like for as little as I study the on-chain analytics. Um, the you know it's like. We all understand the fixed supply of Bitcoin. We understand that less and less of it over over the years will be issued out. Um, but uh, yeah, seeing it, seeing the the outflows off of exchanges, um, it's pretty amazing that that information's there and it's pretty accurate. Like you know, Will was calling it all summer, um, and uh, Dylan was calling it all summer, and even. Daniel Joe and you know the other new guys TXMC uh you know they were all calling it um and and uh you can see it it just makes sense it's supply and demand there's less available people are taking them I mean it's we it's a weird thing to be able to look at something that's getting traded in price and you can witness people taking it off of the trading table like you can see how much is not going to be liquid anymore. That's crazy. It's the first free and open free market in human history. And it's beautiful to watch. I think as we move forward, I think these things like on chain are just going to get more and more popular. And I just think it's where a lot of these quote unquote traders um, who just look at charts and quick technical analysis, uh, like Michael Burry is a great example. When Bitcoin was at 40K, <laughs> he's like, I'm shorting this. It's going to zero because the pattern looked like a big head and shoulders pattern. So the technicals looked a little bit shaky and a little bit bearish, but these TA traders or these uh, traditional investors simply don't understand the underlying supply and demand uh, dynamics associated with Bitcoin. Like the on-chain, we probably will pop a chart up at the moment, but there's under 2 million coins left on exchanges at the moment. Okay, that's that's absolutely wild. There's 21 million bitcoins, but there's only two million for sale. So it, it really doesn't take much for um, for I bitcoin mean, to really. Wow! Like, I just I feel like we're gonna reach that moment where like, um, if like if like uh, say like there was like a like a jet engine or something, and like the the fire like rips up through the bottom and it's just filled with gas so like the fire just like spreads all the way to the top real quick i feel like there's just going to be that moment because i mean that's crazy so there's currently only two million bitcoin available for sale yep on exchanges so that means 16 million are locked away in cold storage yep yeah, I think Will Clemente uh, had a tweet the other day and it was something like 93% of the supply hasn't moved in more than six months. And just the amount of coins that keep flowing to these uh, long-term holders just keeps increasing year over year over year. So I think we're going to get to that stage, Corey, where 
there's just not that many coins for sale and Bitcoin starts gapping up in prices. Like if there's only 2 million coins for sale and Michael Saylor holds 100,000 coins, that means you can only have another 20 Michael Saylors while it's into the Bitcoin market. And there's what, thousands of publicly traded companies out there? There are thousands of publicly traded companies and most of them are bigger than Saylors with a whole lot more cash sitting on their balance sheet. I mean, Microsoft has, what, $250 billion worth of cash on their balance sheet. Michael Saylor had half a billion, half a billion. And he put it all in Bitcoin. If if they could, that would be amazing watching them trying to put all that cash into Bitcoin. Maybe someone should go and orange pill the new Microsoft CEO or uh, Tim Cook because... Yeah, I mean I think, that's that's where you enter hyper bitcoinization, right? Yep. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's where the price breaks all of these models. Um, I've never put much credence into stock to flow. It's a it's a good kind of model to give you a direction. Like obviously, when you have a supply halving every four years, numbers going to go up. I, I don't trust it really predicting the tops so much. Um, mm-hmm. But all of these models, like the rainbow model, a lot of people are predicting Bitcoin to top this cycle somewhere between, what, 150,000 and 300,000. That's the consensus view. And then mm-hmm. we're going to have another 80% correction. I think there's a really good chance we break all of these models this cycle. Like I'm probably at 40 to 50% chance that Bitcoin just gaps higher to, I don't know, a million, $2 million a coin. <laughs> Uh, it's it's gonna be nuts like and the crazy part is is that there's still gonna be people that say it's not gonna work and it's going to fail yep i mean because think about that like i said that in the twitter space one time think about how we don't pause and appreciate the fact that for you to get one bitcoin you have to give somebody 65,000 real dollars. Like that's insane. And and people think it's going to fail. Like that's I remember uh, when was it? maybe the very very first time I ever heard about Bitcoin. Um when was it? I want to say the first time I heard about it. No, no, no. It was when I first heard about it it was like maybe 30 or 40 dollars or something like that. Um, and I read a little bit about it and then I, I was like, wait a minute, like, how was this not a huge event when this coin gained parity with the dollar? You know what I mean? Like, like you think about like a dollar is made up of 100 pennies, you know? So it's like, okay, they made this new coin. If it was worth one cent. Okay. That's cool. Like if you have a hundred of them, that's a dollar. But like the moment that that, that the, a Bitcoin was worth a dollar all of a sudden I was like, well, doesn't that like, I remember thinking that at the time, like how was that not big news that this magical coin, this magic internet money that is a dollar is now at parity with the dollar. And so then like it became, you know, it was like 20, 30, whatever it was at the time. And it's like, I remember, I mean, at the time I just didn't do enough research. I was an idiot. And I was just like, Oh, whatever. Um, and it's gonna it's gonna be my space and Facebook will come in and wipe it out. And um, but you know, it's like it's thirty dollars for one coin. That's nuts. You know yeah. what I mean? Like imagine going it, the opposite direction where it was like 
you had to give somebody 10,000 Bitcoin for $1 bill. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, it's just, it's just weird. I mean, it's, this is like stupid conversation. This doesn't have anything to do with analytics or like deeper understanding of it. It's just like, when you take a step back and look at it, like, we've, oh we've come God. so far. I, I think it, the hardest part for Bitcoin was coming this far and reaching well, 1% global adoption. I think the, I think it's, it's been taken us 12 years to go from zero to 1% adoption. I think, um, it'll maybe only take 12 years for us to go something like, uh, 10% to 90% and go the rest of the S curve adoption. Um, wow. I think we've, I think, yeah, I think the hardest part's already been done, like becoming a $1 trillion asset class, um, like out, out there in the world, there's what $400 trillion of store of value assets out there. We've, we've got, oh, we got an alarm going off over here. So we got if Bitcoin's a trillion, you just, you just made me like go into shock because that is my alarm for waking up in the morning. So like, <laughs> it just made me go ah, like I was like oh no, it's, I didn't know it was time to get up yet. Hopefully not. It is it is late over there, but I I just still think it's so early for Bitcoin. I think the hardest part's done. I think the rest of the journey is the easiest. But what's the total addressable market for store of value assets around the world? It's four hundred trillion dollars. Are we doing Bitcoin's moon math? Only Can one... we get some moon math in? Yeah, we're doing moon math. We're we're halfway through moon math. Yeah, Bitcoin's one trillion. Bitcoin's one trillion dollars, and there's over four hundred trillion dollars of store of value value assets in the world. So, Bitcoin's not even at zero point two five percent of its potential market cap because money's a winner take all. Every single money we've had in history over the past, what, seven or 8,000 years, whether it's seashells, copper, silver, or gold, when the better money comes along, it sucks all of the value out of the previous money. So I, I'm assuming Bitcoin's going to do the same thing and it's going to eat the $100 trillion bond market. It's going to eat the $100 trillion fiat market. There's a $350 trillion real estate market. How much of that? How many? How much of that three hundred and fifty trillion dollars is being used as a store of value? I think it's at least two hundred trillion. What do you reckon, Corey? Oh, I don't know. That's about. Uh, I'm going with your number because I'm. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can, I could come to a really conservative estimate for a hundred million dollar Bitcoin. Um, very really conservatively. Conservative. Very conservative. I can get real crazy. Um, I saw a thread with JW um, earlier today on Twitter and he's making the case Bitcoin's going to be worth a billion dollars. We won't go into that. That That's a little bit wild. But When did um, he say that would happen? uh, I think in the next 50 to 60 years. That takes into account uh, the GDP. Well, yeah, and more the economy just getting a whole lot more uh, efficient on a Bitcoin standard. Like right now, you've got a whole continent um, of Africans. There's, what, 1.2, 1.3 billion people in Africa. And a lot of them are hardworking people. Yes, there's a lot of people battling poverty and not working, but a lot of them are working very hard. They're just losing 50 to 60% of their value each year because they live in authoritarian regimes where inflation is like 40, 50, 60% a year. If you put them on a Bitcoin standard, um, it incentivizes this massive kind of uh, productive boom on a Bitcoin standard. So I think JW's prediction uh, takes all of that into, into consideration as well. I mean, I don't think that's, he said $1 billion for a Bitcoin yeah, in 50, I 50 think, years. 
I think it might have been um, even higher. <laughs> I mean, that's not too crazy because even back, I don't know, in like February or something, I interviewed, um, I think it was when I interviewed that Aubrey Strobel um, from the Lolly um, that, uh, that rewards program for Bitcoin. Um, we were talking about how like whenever uh like in the future like for our grandkids the uh, like their family owning a whole bitcoin is going to be unfathomable like you know what i mean like when when our grandkids like friends find out like your family has a whole bitcoin like you've got to be kidding me that's nuts and so i mean when you think about it from that perspective that's like a billion dollars Oh yeah, what's the uh, statistic? There's over 45 million millionaires in the world, and there's only 21 million bitcoins. So every single millionaire can never own a full bitcoin, even if they wanted to. We gotta Google that because I think it. I think there's even more millionaires. Probably is. Yeah. I think there's. I think there's a couple hundred million. Maybe the statistics based on millionaires in the United States. I'm not sure. Um, let me see let me see um but it certainly highlights just how rare bitcoin is and i think it's only going to get rarer and rarer as we move into the future i think people are going to continue losing their coins um i think people like michael saylor are going to continue coming on to the bitcoin network and in his own words not selling bitcoin for a hundred years so yeah Oh yeah, dude! It's it's fifty one million people millionaires who have a fifty one million fifty one million millionaires. So yeah, there's not enough Bitcoin for each of them to have half. Yeah, that's wild. Absolutely wild. Um, even now, account how I mean, you know, that like we said, there's eighteen some million in circulation. Little less than three will will be mined over the next hundred and twenty years, um, and uh, out and only two million for sale. Yep, that's insane. two million on two million on exchanges. So stack your sats, ladies and gentlemen. Even if Bitcoin gets to a conservative ten million dollars, you don't need a whole Bitcoin to retire. You only need 10 million sats, 0.1 of a, a Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes to 10 million and you've got 10% of a Bitcoin, you're a millionaire. And that's today you can buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin for what, $6,000? A couple of months yeah. wages? That's attainable oh, it, for anyone. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's, it's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. And like the funny thing is people don't realize it, that it's going to be it's going to be, it's going to pale in comparison. You know, they look back and go, God, I wish I would have bought it 4k. Yeah. You know, God, I wish like, I had a bought at 65k. Oh yeah. That day is coming. Um, uh, but yeah, it, is your, is your friend like stuck out in the desert waiting for you or. Yeah. It's a funny story before Corey and I jumped on today, we actually weren't going to record. I was going to have to rain check because I've got a friend who needs a jump start. but uh, in dedication to talking about Bitcoin, I've left him out uh, to hang and dry. So uh, I suppose we've covered all the big topics in the news this week, Corey. Um, uh, yeah. Let me see if there's anything else. 
I can think of. No, I mean, we could just let your friend hang for a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> He'll be right. the, is he one of the listeners? No, I don't think so. He's not fully orange filled. How many? How many roommates do you have? So at the moment, six. Oh shit! You have six roommates. Yeah, yeah. We, um, yeah. Oh, one of the, we converted the old lounge room in the house to a bedroom, and there's a couple in there. So there's there's two, there's two birds with one stone there, and then there's another four four rooms. So there's six of us all up. Is it a big house? It's yeah, it's pretty big. Six people. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's it's good fun. Are they uh, all they, friends that you knew beforehand, or some of two of them are, and then I've rented the rooms out to other people. Um, so okay. I've, I've met all sorts of people through the house. It's been a good chance to orange peel more plebs. So uh, anyone listening and owning their own property, you're doing it wrong. Shit, uh, real estate's a shit coin, ladies and gentlemen. You should get out there and rent and stack yeah. as many sats as you can. <laughs> well. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I haven't rented. Uh, it's been a long time, so maybe I, I'm holding on to the shit coin um, that uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be. But the uh, well, you said I bring up your roommates just because you said because like we were on a Zoom call talking about like setting up this podcast, and then you send me a message that said you just heard my voice in your house. Yeah, yeah, that was last night. I could hear that. Well, there's a couple of people in the house that are properly orange pilled, which is good. And uh, one of them listens to all the all the episodes and that we do. And he was listening to your one with I think Lamar last night. I could I could hear your voice in um, booming from my kitchen, and I'm at the other side of the house. And I was thinking, what's going on? Is is Corey over here in Australia? And I realized I realized he had your episode um, on speakers in the kitchen. So that's a you love to thing. see it. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find this out too as as your show keeps going. Like, and we do this too. It just blows me away that people actually listen. Like, yeah. it blows me away. I'm like, because like I'm an idiot. I'm just here learning from <laughs> other people. Um, hey, we're both we're both idiots, but I think we're lucky to be in the industry talking about a once in a species generation. And I think once you've taken the orange pill, it's it's hard not to be addicted to listening about Bitcoin and talking about Bitcoin all day, every day, because I think the implications of Bitcoin over the next five or 10 years are going to be really transformative. And I think we're really lucky to still be so early with less than 1% of the world well, one, one to 2% of the world have adopted Bitcoin or have bought any sort of crypto. Uh, but how much of that one to 2% have actually put their entire savings into Bitcoin? Yeah, I don't think no. it's that high. So I think no. we're so, so early. Um, oh, if and you're I, familiar I, with Jurassic Park, then uh, I always say it's the Samuel L. Jackson moment, the hold on to your butts. <laughs> yeah, I think the next five years are going to be wild. Yeah, it's going to be, well, it'll be intense. Um, well, yeah, and just so everybody's listening, um, this, you know, Bitcoin breadcrumbs, we're basically going to do, uh, we're going to do this once a week, just talk about like the things that the the current events, um, you know, whether it's we don't have enough women in Bitcoin or we, um, have Mark Cuban, another billionaire, join a Twitter space or an ETF, anything like that. Um, the one thing I've learned is that there is never a shortage of storylines in the Bitcoin world. Um, 
so yeah, we'll be doing that, but make sure, you know, I mean, if you're listening to the channel, then you'll get both this and then, and then Luke and I do, uh, interviews, um, you know, and his fix the money, fix the world and mine, just the, uh, Bitcoin made simple. So, um, yeah, we'll be doing those weekly. So hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, and you'll be getting three episodes a week. Um, and we'll be, uh, bringing in some good guests. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll be releasing Daniel Joe next. Um, but yeah, thanks for, uh, listening everybody. And we will catch you next week. See you guys. Have a good weekend.